Episode 393, Dick Tracy, part one of the post-Batman pulp superhero movie series. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did Surprise, you was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here with my friend, your friend. He's all of our friends, and he is John Haru. And John, yes, welcome back. I feel like we just did this. We did. We did just <laughs> do this. Uh, but you were the first one to raise your hand and say, "Hey, Ben, I'll come and do this uh, series with you." I'm, and so, I'm down for watching movies, no matter how terrible they are. Or how wonderful they are. Sure. You could take it that <laughs> direction, too. I, I think we might have a difference of opinion coming up in this episode. <laughs> yeah, well. there's, But we'll see. There, there's, a, there's a club of other movie podcasts I'm doing this week that you, you can join in with because I'll, I don't think I'm going to enjoy. I don't think I'm enjoying any of the movies I'm watching this weekend. That makes me feel a little bit sad, <laughs> but only a little, but only a little. Hey, so we are here because I wanted to, in November, do uh, four movie reviews of four movies that I just wanted to get get back to. I've seen all of them, and they are all movies that are directly uh, inspired by, directly ripping off. There you go. <laughs> Batman from 1989. We wouldn't have these movies if that movie didn't exist, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, could be something in between. I don't know. But I was thinking about these movies and I came across an article that talked about these movies. And every once in a while, I've I've actually looked them up on Amazon to see like how much would it cost for me to buy these movies to put on my shelf? I'm not doing that. I'm just renting them right now. But um, they are... Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, The Shadow, and The Phantom. And they're all pulp heroes. Most of them actually like way old-fashioned pulp heroes from like the actual pulp times. Um, The Rocketeer is not. The Rocketeer is, I think, an 80s comic book that was definitely drawing on the tropes of the pulp heroes and the um, World War II uh, adventure and and definitely Indiana Jones as well, but we'll we'll get to that one. But for right now, we're talking about 1990s Dick Tracy, starring and directed by Warren Beatty, and featuring Madonna 
and most of the cast of the Corleone brothers from The Godfather. And <laughs> like this is <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. A very long time since I saw this movie. Rented it on VHS, watched it in college, haven't come back to it since then, except for the soundtrack. Because Danny Elfman is one of my writing soundtrack guys. So I forgot that Mandy Patinkin was in this movie. <laughs> Did you expect him to say, uh, hello, my name is 88 Keys. You <laughs> smashed my fingers. Prepare, Prepare to, to die. die. No, um, I actually associate Mandy Patinkin more with the TV show Dead Like Me than I do The Princess Bride. Uh, wasn't he in, uh, I think he was in Criminal Minds, too. For two seasons, yep. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though, because... I didn't realize he was Princess Bride, but I was an adult before I figured out that was Mandy Patinkin because just because of the mustache and the hair. Yeah, well, right after Dick Tracy came out, and I watched it in college, um, and my friend was like, "Yeah, Mandy Patinkin, my mom loves him." I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? She listened to his music. Like what? He had a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he had some sort of music career. Was that was and... that really him singing with Madonna? Yes, it was oh wow okay yeah yeah so this was a passion project by warren Beatty, something he'd been wanting to do for years and have been trying to get involved and then would you know they wouldn't be interested in him and then finally the stars aligned and i think this was greenlit before batman but definitely after batman disney said hey we want to do Batman and we're going to emulate Batman. And were you around? Do you remember? I should say, I think you were alive. Then, yeah, I but was alive. Do you remember the marketing campaign for Dick Tracy? Oh gosh. Yes. Uh, yeah. So much, so much, so many marketing. commercials, so many commercials. There were ads in all my comic books. Mm -hmm. There um, was a McDonald's promotion. Mm hmm. The comic book ads were trying to do, they were trying to rip off that Batman thing where they just had the bat symbol mm -hmm. and then the date. And that was the posters. That was, you know, comic book ads and all that stuff. Well, they did that only it's him looking at his watch saying I'm on my way. And then it had a date. And I remember seeing those ads and then they, you know, as you're getting further along, they have the ads where he's got the Tommy gun and he's, it's a comic book style interpretation of the Warren Beatty character mm -hmm. um, firing a Tommy gun. And I, like, now, at that time, I had subscriptions to Star Trek comic books by DC. And so I was, for, I would say, maybe three or four years, getting fed every month the the, the advertising cycle that DC was doing. And so mm -hmm. another movie that I remember vividly being um, advertised in DC Comics was um, oh, the, the Clive Barker movie. That he directed no no um it's about like the clan of of mutant people oh was it nightbreed that's it that's it and i remember that one vividly because it was a, a pull out mm -hmm. kind of a thing like that folded out of the comic book and yeah but they they tried desperately they had toys uh they had a toy that spoiled the big reveal at the end of this movie mm -hmm. That spoil who the faceless character is, um, which we're also going to spoil. I'm just going to say right now, 
This movie's old enough. It's 1990. It's old enough that we can spoil this thing. And it's shallow enough that it's really not too disappointing to have it spoiled for you. <laughs> uh, on a recent Welcome to Level 7 episode, one of my co-hosts started talking about Jurassic World Dominion. Mm-hmm. She's like, can I spoil this? And I was like, not only can you, I want you to. Because... <laughs> Uh, this movie does not deserve my protection. Yeah. But Dick Tracy, <laughs> I think we just need to, well, tell me, do you remember when you saw it last then? When did you, were you a kid? Were you a teen? Were you? When, when did I, when did I see it last? Um, yeah. In the movie theater. You saw it in the theater. Yeah. I did not. I did not see this in the theater. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, it, wow. 1990, um, I was eight years old, so. It was PG, so it was let's go. Not that it not that really rating mattered. I also saw Point Break in the theater, so <laughs> uh yeah, nineteen ninety I would have been sophomore mm-hmm. in high school. And it feels like the kind of movie that I would have gone and seen with my friends. But for some reason we we didn't. I don't remember what was what else was coming out and or or we would have rented for uh some of the overnighters we did, but we didn't for whatever reason. Again, I don't know. I and because of said, because of said McDonald's promotion, I will always associate this movie with egg McMuffins. <laughs> I do. Hey, I mean, <laughs> you can't you can't control the chemical balances that happen in your brain it, to make those associations. It, so. it legit like. <laughs> for real because i remember because you know you would order something and then your mcdonald your whatever you got from mcdonald's would come with like some scratch off uh ticket mm-hmm. inside that had Mc- had like characters from it and you would scratch off what they were saying okay. and i just forever associate <laughs> that with so there you go you know it's it's like this super mild form of ptsd <laughs> a little bit yeah like like it, it doesn't affect anything really other than just, Oh, there's a thing in my brain right now. So pretty much funny. So what happened with me was I saw it in college. We rented it, but before I even saw it, the soundtracks were at the dollar store. And so I actually bought the soundtrack from the dollar store on cassette. And then I also not long after that bought the soundtrack at the dollar store, big lots, maybe on, on CD as well. Mm. And so I got the soundtrack uh, score by Danny Elfman, but then I also got the, um, not the Madonna one, but the one that was all like swing music or whatever. Mm. So, and that would have been, you know, maybe two, three years after the movie came out. And then from there actually went and saw, saw it on, on VHS in the college dorm. But um, yeah, like I said, those, that, that soundtrack, Danny Elfman for a long while was like, he was just like, oh, I love Danny Elfman and I'm going to listen to whatever he, whatever he does. And so I bought it, not because it was Dick Tracy, but because it was Danny Elfman. And then my friend said, hey, you should listen to this other one too, because it's lots of fun. <laughs> and it really was. Like it, it was, it was swing music. It was a lot of fun. So Yeah. You didn't get the Madonna one, huh? No, I didn't. Cause I, didn't. Ma- I don't know if it wasn't available or if it was just like, oh. Madonna, because yeah. <laughs> Madonna was for this movie what Prince was for Batman. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. And it worked. Like did they, it? it did. Well, it worked for her. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. She had uh, at least one song that she would do on her on her tour after that, where she had a dancer come out dressed as Dick Tracy, who danced with her, mm-hmm. and and I think that was part of the promotion of the movie. It might have been while the movie was was in theaters, but I just the way I I remember things from that time was like Batman. You had all that promotion, and you had like everyone was just you know going back crazy, and everyone had the T shirt and. Um, you had the Christian version of the T-shirt that had the the yellow oval with a dove on it. And it's like that's that's how you know, like you've made a big splash in pop culture if the Christians are doing the, the Jesus loves you parody <laughs> version of it, you know. And and I wanted that dove T-shirt so bad, by the way. Like I wanted it so bad. And the next catalog that came to our youth group that had those T-shirts in it, it wasn't in there, oh. and I was so disappointed. Cause I couldn't get that, but so I never did get the dove Batman shirt. If I had it, I, I probably would still be wearing it now if I fit in it, which I wouldn't, but anyway, yeah. So that is like, it was, it was big, big, big. And then the movie came out and it was big, big, big. And it just stayed big, big, big. And I, the, the impression I got from Dick Tracy in my memory anyway, was they were revving up for that. You know, they were going, they were driving, the motor was running and until the movie was released. And then it was like, Oh, no one's buying the toys. The CD is going to go to the dollar store. Like, I just remember like it was just big build up. The movie comes out and then it was kind of, no one talked about it after that. And no one thought about it after that. And it was, um, and again, it was a couple years later before I even saw it. So I don't, that's my memory of it. I believe it made money, but that's how I remember it. I would hope so with as much as they paid for in promotion for it. Well, and then there's big actors in this. Yeah. Lots of big there's actors. Huge actors in this. Um, um, Al Pacino is in it. Dustin Hoffman is in it. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman was almost unrecognizable in this movie. Until you heard his voice just long enough. Right. And and then it still was like, after you realized it from his voice, it, it continues going on. And then you're, oh, I can see him in there now. Mm-hmm. I can see him in there. Um, uh, they had James, James Kahn was in it. Was he in that? James Kahn was in the one scene where they were around the table. Okay. And, and he was at the other end of the table. Oh, he was, he was uh, that guy. Yeah. Spamoni or whatever his name was. Yeah, the one of the one of the crime bosses. Yeah. Um and what was nice was most of these guys who had that makeup on, mm-hmm. uh, you could kind of recognize them. I, and there was a couple of them where I was looking at and just thinking, you know, that feels like it's a character actor I've seen a number of times before. Mm-hmm. And I really don't know if I actually had or not, because it wasn't enough where I'm like I can look them up and realize exactly who they are by looking it up. But um, James Kahn, you could see him. Um, Dustin Hoffman, you could see him eventually. But here's the other thing. Uh, Kathy Bates is in this. I know she's in it, but I I knew she was in it. But I at no point did I was I at a point where I was just like, that's Kathy Bates. I, I, 
saw her when it was after it was in her last scene i think that she did where she's actually like walking down the hallway or whatever after she'd been trying to take dictation from mumbles and was she uh, the dick oh she was the uh, yeah. dictationist uh-huh. i almost said dictator Green. but uh and and i was like is that kathy bates and it was so this is this is before misery mm. but this would be her second movie with james con yeah or first movie with him mm-hmm I knew what you meant. They, Misery was her first like leading role in a film. Mm-hmm. So yeah. See, I, I knew her mainly from Dolores Claiborne. <laughs> well, and the only reason you knew her from Dolores Claiborne was because she did Misery. I never saw I've never seen Misery, to tell you the truth. Well, I mean the because of Misery, mm. they were looking to her for you know Stephen King movies. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I don't know if I've seen Dolores Claiborne. Is that the one? Where they live in the cabin with Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, my wife didn't either. Because it was the content. It was a mm-hmm. strong performances, but content just was like, oh, I don't like this. I don't want to watch this. Well, it, it it's a lot like there's a lot of difficult movies where it's just like it's well done, but you can't really say that you mm-hmm. like it. Like, can anybody say that they like Schindler's List? You can, but you mean something different than when you say I like Batman, <laughs> but the point remains. I was rewatching it now. Delighted by this movie, this movie. I, I just, I had so much fun watching it and it was stylistic. It was goofy. It was not too self serious, <laughs> which really helped. It was gangster. I like gangster movies. You know, I like The Untouchables. I like Godfather. Mm-hmm. You know, I just recently rewatched the the Godfather trilogy. And yeah, this just tickled me when I was watching it. And I, I, I feel like that this, for the me, this series of four movies is going to be nowhere but down. I think Rocketeer is still going to be a high, but we'll see because I haven't watched that in a long while. But this, this just, I, it tickled me. I had a lot of fun. I laughed out loud. I am jealous of your experience, sir. <laughs> Al Pacino just, I don't know what it was, but he got me perfect. I mean, it was just perfect for me when I was it's, watching it this time. He, he was His chewing little, scenery the whole oh, entire time. Well, and then I was trying to figure out if, if how much of that was ad-libbed and how much of it was scripted, where he's like making these little comments here and there and like misquoting people from history and and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I just... I really, really enjoyed it. And actually, I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it more than I did the first time I saw it. Mm. Because I remember thinking this wasn't that wonderful. And just being, before, I just remember the style being, oh, yeah, this is a really stylistic movie. Very stylized. And and it works. But this time, I was just, man, I wish I had bought this. I would watch this again. Now, since I didn't buy it, I won't watch it again. But. I mean, where else can you have a, a square-jawed hero demand, I want fingerprints from those walnuts by the morning. <laughs> is uh, it cheese? It is. Very much. It is cheese. Is it intended to be cheese? Yeah. I would say yes. You and me had very different experiences with this movie. <laughs> um, Tell me about your experience. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, like I was, I was, 
I wouldn't say I was live tweeting to my bottom shelf team, but you know, some comments were being said because uh, we're prepping for some other stuff too. And they knew I was getting ready to do this episode and we kind of talked about it and they're like, someone had asked where we were at and I'm like, um, we're on the bottom shelf, but we're teetering on the edge of the dumpster. <laughs> and right about the second musical sequence with Madonna, I'm like, it fell in. It's it's officially dumpster fire territory with me at this point. I, this movie. Okay. So this movie was Madonna, the commercial. Because I, I felt like they every chance they got, we have to put Madonna on the screen. She has to be singing. And if she's not on the screen and we have to have some kind of montage, we're going to make sure she's singing through the montage and we're going to put in extra montages to have her sing more. And it's just like, we get it. You got Madonna for the movie. Now she only did three songs for the movie, I think. And there's another, there's another song that was female led that for one of the montages that was, uh, I think it was a trio. Mm. Now, one of the songs I did twice though. Because the one they were they were practicing, that, where Al Pacino was like end. coaching. Yeah. Um, By the way, and... that Al Pacino coaching scene is what drove my wife out of the room when we were watching this. She's like, <laughs> she's like, I can't, I can't do this. I hate this. I'm, I'm so going. I'm watching else. it. I'm watching it in the living room with my earbuds in on my iPad, and I'm just giggling. And I'm like, I wonder what uh, if they're if they're wondering what I'm giggling about because I know it's not Al Pacino <laughs> coaching a bunch of girls, including Madonna on how to sing a song and dance. Um, no one's going to guess that is why I'm giggling. <laughs> yeah. I wish they would have gone with a different main, like big bad or something for this movie too, because out of all the rogues gallery that they have for, and boy, does Dick Tracy have a rogues gallery. I don't know how many he actually has, but they used it. They crammed as many as they could. They, I mean, some had, of them. It had Spider-Man three syndrome. Oh, if you Spider-Man three squared, maybe like this but, is. Well, but what I'm saying is they, they're like, we have a bunch of unused villains. Let's just throw them all in. And, you know, it's just like, then you don't have enough time with any of them to really care. You know, well, I mean, you're literally, yeah. I mean, the, it opens up with five of them playing poker and they just get mowed down and they're just done. Like that's, they're just, they're just cannon fodder. And that's just to show how bad the next one is. <laughs> and yeah, it it just feels, it just feels like wasted property. If you ask me, well, it made me wonder like, where would they go with a sequel? I don't think they intended on having one. They did intend on it, but they couldn't, it didn't make enough money where they were like, this is definitely a, a franchise we want to pursue. And then there was all like different rights issues and stuff like that. And so Warren Beatty, even up until like 2016, I think was trying to get a sequel going. Well, God knows Warren Beatty couldn't have been Dick Tracy in 2016. I think the idea would have been him either producing it and it's kind of a reboot mm -hmm. or it would have been him like handing off to someone else maybe dick tracy jr yeah yep. oh you want okay you want to talk about ham-fisted corniness in this movie the moment where kid was like i'm gonna name myself after you i'm like <laughs> really 
really. Dick Tracy is a movie about a man who is just trying to figure out how to get a ready-made, done-for-you nuclear family. You know, his nuclear family, it just just came to him ready to go. And in the process, he has to deal with temptation in the form of Madonna, who might cause it all to break away. Whom he kissed twice in this movie. And once was initiated by him. How big of a slap in the face is it to Tess that Dick Tracy saves her from getting crushed on the gears of the, of the bridge. And then after he saves her, he goes, helps Madonna's character and then kisses her in front of her. (laughs) Was she there? I think she'd gone to the ambulance. No, she, so she ran to go get the ambulance. The kid says, no, I'll get the ambulance or I'll call the ambulance, but I don't think she had gotten back yet. And I think she was still, she was up on the bridge then because then he leaves Madonna dead and goes up and, and, and then runs to her and they embrace and the music swells again after the music swells. I mean, uh, uh, just, uh, it's stuff like that, that made Dick Tracy, a. uh, a non-sympathetic hero for me. It's just like, ugh. Hey, I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm not saying it's a good movie. I am saying it. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Now, did I have problems with it? I did. I definitely did. Like the, the second, so the final climax where they have Madonna doing the stage show mm-hmm. for the party, mm-hmm. that song just went on too long. And I feel like they could stretch it out because they kept cutting away to where the song wasn't happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they cut back and it's like, yeah, we can just, we can take the song that's three and a half minutes long and we can make it last seven minutes mm. because we keep cutting away from it. But uh, that I, I, every time they cut back to the song, I'm just like, oh, come on. Come on. Let's go back to the teeter totter. Come on. Jeez. The teeter. T- oh, you mean you mean you mean? Uh, let's rip the scene off from Batman. Where well, where he's he jumps on the um, yeah the fulcrum thing. Yeah. Except except no, I'm talking about the scene before that when Dick Tracy jumps down into the vault, breaking through the glass, and his and his cape. <laughs> oh wait, I mean overcoat <laughs> flaps up behind him. I yeah. I looked at that and I'm like, someone needs to talk to Tim Burton because someone just stole his shot. Well, here's the deal, like the. Let's talk about Danny Elfman again. Uh-huh. They got Danny Elfman because of Batman. Like, I don't doubt that it. That was the reason that they pulled Danny Elfman into this movie. I don't doubt it because it sounded like they used the exact same score that Danny well, Elfman used. To be fair, for a while, it all sounded like the exact same score. Mm. So, yeah, it's he got better and more diversified as he went along. Like, I know you like to do seven word reviews for movies. Mm-hmm. I only have three words I can give this, really. <laughs> Let's hear them. Uh, derivative, shallow, and bloated. I would add, though, <laughs> stylistic. I mean, here's the thing. If nothing else, you got to appreciate the filmmaking that went into this. There's a lot of and style to it, but there was no substance for me to sink my teeth in. Like uh, one of one of the okay, so 
one of my biggest things that I do, because I, I'm in a band, one of the, one of the biggest things I like to do is I like to listen to autobiographies of famous rock stars to hear what life was, what they had to do, what they had to go through to be, get big. One of my favorite ones is uh, Paul Stanley's autobiography from the band Kiss, um, and he was talking about how people criticize them for merchandise over merchandising themselves he goes but here's the thing we always made sure that whatever we put out with the with the kiss branding on it was the best thing because we didn't want to give anybody who gave us our their money to we didn't want to give them all sizzle and no steak and that's how i would describe this movie is there was a lot of sizzle and very little steak to go with it yeah and i can't argue against that because to me the steak it's not steak it's dessert mm. like this is this is is it very shallow yeah it's very shallow but it also was it was fun to me i was laughing along with it and i think it was i think that the movie that they were trying to deliver was the movie that i watched uh for this for this podcast episode as as far as the comedy mm-hmm. the adventure the the goofiness the over the topness. I mean, it is absolutely meant to be over the top. It is absolutely bloated with just every character they can throw in. And, you know, and we can talk, we'll, we will definitely talk about like the uh, kind of spiritual side of things mm-hmm. for this. But anything that I would say is a spiritual uh, thematic thing from this um, is, is still very surface level, even if it was intended. You know, what I was and what I was about to say was I wouldn't disagree with you that this was the movie that they intended on making. Uh, this is by and large very much an 80s movie. And a lot of the big 80s movies were uh fashion over function 9 times out of 10. Um even in 80s horror movies, I had this conversation with my sister cuz she's just starting to get into slasher films and she was watching the first Friday the 13th. And she's like, they're all so corny. I'm like, yeah, that's the eighties. If you're, if you're looking for something mind bendingly, you know, something to really sink your teeth into, you're looking in the wrong decade. And I think, I, I, I think the part that frustrated me the most though, about watching this was when I was watching it, I could see all the ways it could have been better. And that, that frustrates me because I'm not involved in cinema, but, but I knew enough to know that it lacked enough restraint not to throw in all the bad guys so you could develop more of a relationship with the characters rather than just these nightbreed stylized goons. They needed to tone down the color palette. Oh my goodness. And like, if any... If any, like I was frustrated with the Robert Pattinson Batman that just recently came out. I felt like they changed too much of the formula. I wasn't interested in it. I think this movie could have dealt with, dealt with that kind of a treatment, make it more about the detective work and make it, you know, bring the grit to bring the grit to that. Like, I would love to see a remake of this movie with that kind of a treatment, tone down the color palette, turn up the you know, make it turn up the grit a little bit. And this, this could be a fantastic gangster thriller, you know, detective procedural, but just as it is, it, it, it just, well, 
I mean, watch The Untouchables then. Like that's, it's basically, it's not the exact same plot, but there's a lot of similarities to, you know, the, you have the crime busters who are going around and, you know, trying to take down the, the criminal and it's De Niro instead of Pacino. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's still, that's, I mean, those are Godfather actors. So yeah. you've got, you've got that. Um, and honestly, there's a lot of, I mean, they, they did take a lot of visual style from Tim Burton's Batman, mm-hmm. but, and you know, the, the color palette that you're complaining about, that was one of the, that was part of the point of this movie. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the things that Beatty goes into it and says seven colors and they're always the same. And so if there's yellow, it's the same yellow. If there's blue, it's the same blue or close to it. If there's red, it's the same red. Um, so it's yellow, red, blue, orange, green. They have black and white in there as well. And if if it was not a naturalistic thing, like a tree, the green from the tree, um, then it was going to be one of those on the color palette. And that mm. was for that was dictated from on high from from Warren Beatty as the director mm-hmm. saying this is what I want. But you take that you know that style thing there's the Batman, you know, style but then there was also it shared a lot with the Untouchables movie. Uh and then it also shared a lot with the Dick Tracy black and whites TV show and then obviously the the cartoon strip because this is I mean this is based on that that newspaper comic strip. Mm-hmm. And they base those characters. I, I think the only one that was really any very different was Pacino's character. That's that's why it's like it's interesting to have the conversation with someone where it's clear, like we saw the same movie, but we saw different movies. It just has to do with what you're into, I guess. Yeah, like this is I, this this movie isn't an everybody movie. This wouldn't be one that like. On my podcast, uh, the bottom shelf, you know, one of the one of the biggest things, if if a movie's going to make it to the top shelf, it has to be something that we would, if it was something that we we had somebody over, we'd be we and we're going to grab a movie to put it on. Would we put this on in front of everybody and be like, "Hey, you got to watch this movie. It's fantastic." I you know, I don't think I would ever put this movie on ever in my opinion, but I can appreciate the fact that there's pro there's people out there that got some enjoyment out of it because everybody comes to cinema for different reasons. And it just happens to be that none of mine are in this movie. (laughs) I would say that this could potentially be a homework movie where this, there's no CGI in this movie at all. It's all map paintings, force perspective. So the train scene where he runs and jumps in front of the train, mm-hmm. that that was all done in camera, but the train was only what like like two feet tall or something like that. And so oh, yeah? they used force perspective so that when he ran and jumped in front of it, the train was really close to the camera. He's really far ahead of it, and they weren't even close at all. But it looked it looked okay. You know, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but it. it it was better than uh, Clark Kent jumping in front of the train in 1979 Superman. I'll put it that way. Um, and so you have that. You have the matte paintings. You have a lot. And again, this is a visual style that they were trying to do where you have a small thing in close-up 
in frame with people in the background. Mm-hmm. And so you have that special lens that's uh, half, I can't remember which lens you're using for which, but you know, half of the lens is this close up and half the lens is meant for far away. And you have them both in focus at the same time. And the color palette, I mean, you don't have to like it, but it is a part of the style where mm-hmm. I would say this is, this is something to look at. This is something where I'd say, yeah, maybe they should have toned it down. I don't know. I don't know what it would look like if they had toned it down, but to say, hey, if you want to do a comic book on the screen, this is a grand experiment, you know, and maybe no one should ever do it again, <laughs> but but they did it here. Yeah. And the same with like Ang Lee's Hulk, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe no one should ever try and do that again, but you've got to appreciate that they were looking at that and saying, we're going to try to have the wipes are actually cannel, uh, comic panels, not cannels. Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe I just invented a new word, though. Maybe not. I don't know. Because they did Batman the year before. And the big deal that I remember from when Batman 89 released. Now, I might be a little bit fuzzy on this because, you know, that was a while ago and I was young. But when Batman 89 released, the big deal was this is Batman. And it's like if Batman was real life, it's not comic booky. I mean, that was the big sell for it, at least amongst the social circles that I happened to be privy to as a seven-year-old. If they were trying to emulate Batman as far as comic book movies are concerned, I, I feel like they went completely 180 from that concept of, hey, let's take this comic book or this comic strip rather and give it a real life like do a, a live action version of it and make it seem real life. Well, here's, here's something that might help with some of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, filming began on Dick Tracy in, Oh, I just had it here. Uh, February, 1989. Okay. The Batman movie was released in June, 1989. So there was a almost half a year where they were working on Dick Tracy before Batman hit. Mm. And so they definitely, I mean, like I said, Danny Elfman was brought in because of Batman. The advertising and marketing campaign happened the way it did because of Batman. Mm -hmm. Disney, through Touchstone, which Touchstone was how they released more adult movies, they released it through Touchstone. They were definitely hoping for this to be their Batman and this to be their their summer because then it was released in June 1990. I mean, it was exactly a year later. And so maybe it's not fair to even lump this in with movies that happened because of Batman 1989, but Batman 1989 definitely... It still had an effect on this movie. Yeah. I just love the fact that it hit us both so very, very differently. I was not expecting to have as much enjoyment from it as, as I did have. I'm laughing. I'm I'm enjoying Al Pacino being over the top, but I also was enjoying the kid being over the top. And like that one scene where he yells, Tracy! You know, look out, and then they, they come and gun down the car and the 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 building front. Mm-hmm. And then when the kid is just so amped up, like he gets out and he's just like running back and forth. He's like, "We gotta, we gotta go." I saw where they went, you know. And I was just like, "I'm, I'm being swept along here." There's an emotional sweep that's pulling me through. But again, is the kid deciding to be Dick Tracy Jr. Is it quite as bad as uh, Joseph Gordon Lovett? revealing that his middle name is Robin and maybe he should go by his middle name, Robin in, in dark Knight rises. I don't know which is worse, but 
they're both not great. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew that's where it was going to. Mm. Like as soon as they started pushing for him to have a name, because again, like I said, I mean, I was kind of joking about how it's a story of a man who's trying to get his own nuclear family without having to build a nuclear family. Right. It, it really is. This is about Dick Tracy finally deciding to settle down with Tess and going out and, and having his rumspringa with Madonna before he, he goes back to uh, his roots with, with Tess and decides to settle down with, with the nice girl and then have a son as well. <laughs> I, will, I will concede, though, there was one part of this movie that I did find quite a bit of amusement in. And it was, I can, I can legitimately say it's the only part of the movie that I really enjoyed. Cause like the bulk of the movie, I was, I, I was telling Dallas on, on uh, Facebook, I was like, if, if I didn't have to watch this for a podcast, I would have turned it off by now, but I'm glad I didn't because I would have missed the one part that actually amused <laughs> me greatly, which was when big boy was taking Tess down into the underground tunnel. And he's just sitting there getting all Sybil with her on that push cart where he's trying to talk her down. Like, you know, I didn't do this on purpose. (laughs) But don't make me shoot you. But you know, I did. (laughs) Well, I just love that through that whole thing. He's like, um, cause he's done all these crimes and they can't pin anything on him, Mm -hmm. but he's getting framed for kidnapping. And so he's like, it's a frame up. Someone will think I kidnapped her. That's a federal offense. He's like so worried that they're going to think he kidnapped her while he's kidnapping her. And he says that he runs away. And then Dick Tracy's like, that's kidnapping big boy. That's a federal offense. And then um, they get down into the the place and they're like, they're going to get, they're going to get us on a kidnapping rap. It's just like, and again, that's why I'm like, this is untouchables because Mm. untouchables is all about like, tax evasion for Al Capone. You know, it's like, he got all these things. Well, now he's getting framed for kidnapping and I'm just, okay, this is, I, I just love the fact that he's so hung up on, like he's holding her at gunpoint and they're shooting people, but he's just so worried about the kidnapping offense. Like, ah, they can't get me on kidnapping. (laughs) I didn't kidnap you. I was framed for it. No, the best line was I didn't kidnap you. But I'm kidnapping you now, but I didn't kidnap you. <laughs> he just doesn't want to get get anything pinned on him. Because that was the other thing. Like the whole time he's like, no, you can't you can't kill Dick Tracy because because they'll pin it on me. They're, 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 they're going to think it's me. So you can't do it. Um, like he if he's going to go down, he wanted to go down for his legitimate crimes. Right. Not for something else that he didn't do. Um, but as we're talking about it. And I, I've, of course, this is going to be this isn't going to be anything any of the listeners are going to be able to have a point of context to. But you remember that uh, that our that that actual play RPG podcast that we tried to do with Steve with superheroes mm-hmm. a while, a while yeah, yeah. back uh, at, at the end when he was uh, uh, when uh, big boy Caprice was uh, um, kind of psychologically falling apart he reminded me a lot of my character that I would play going back and forth between being a homicidal maniac. And then <laughs> there was, what was, Oh, he's trying to like convince Dick Tracy, like to join him. Right. And like, we, we just need to, and, and he's like, just come on over here. We'll, we'll talk this through. Like, and then he's, and I'm going to squeeze your head. And I'm going to, I didn't mean to say that. I, 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 it's just, again, 
I'm enjoying him chewing the scenery. It's over the top. It's meant to be. And if you, so one of the scenes where I was, I was laughing and I was like, this is a make or break scene. I'm laughing at it. But when they've got the bug and they've, they've got the, the room bugged. And so it's a hole that they did in the ceiling over the, the big uh, chandelier thing. And they can't figure out why Dick Tracy knows their every move. Well, it's because he hears their every move through his guy, Bug, who is one of the few ba- uh, good guys who actually has like stylistic makeup for his his head. Mm-hmm. Like everyone else who has that stylistic weird thing with their face or something, it's a bad guy. But he's got giant ears. And so he's the guy who's listening in on the headphones and he spills his hot cocoa or whatever. And so they realize they're bugged. And then they're like sitting there and he's saying, yeah, yeah, oh, we, we, I'll meet you at this place and this is what we're going to do. And, and then they, they look at each other and they're just all like trying to hold in their laughter. They're just like, <laughs> and they're like giggling. And I'm, I'm looking at that scene. I'm thinking, you know what? This is a scene where you're either laughing with it or you are running away from this because it's so dumb. Mm-hmm. But I, I was with it. I was with it. <laughs> uh, I also, there was the term with Dick, uh, Dick Van Dyke where he was the mayor. And then I was surprised when you find out he was actually on the crooks payroll. Oh no. He, he, he was running for mayor. He, uh, he was the DA. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I thought he was running for reelection, but okay. Yeah. It makes sense. But still that's Dick Van Dyke. Like they had picked the perfect person to be the bad guy or to be, you know, in on the side of the devil mm-hmm. because Dick Van Dyke, he's, he's Mary Poppins. He's from Dick Van Dyke. Like chim, he's, chiminy, chim, chiminy, yeah. chim. Anyway. And then there was this bit of uh, scripting gold. This is where Dick Tracy makes the realization of just who the bad guy might be potentially when he's sitting in the back of the car (laughs) and he says, is the enemy of my enemy, my friend or the enemy of my friend, my enemy or the enemy of my enemy, my enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my enemy. (laughs) And again, I'm thinking you're either going with it or you're not. I didn't. I, I was like, that's all gibberish trying to sound deep and which was the i would say is the point it's gibberish trying to sound deep and there's a fine line where you're able to actually do the thing that you're parodying instead of it looking like you're just doing the thing i don't know i i'm like i said people come to movies for different reasons and in the same sense, different things in movies annoy different people. I'm the type of person like, okay, so for a living, I work in the medical field. And whenever I hear people talk medical on a movie or a show, and I'm like, no, that's not the way it works. It uh, drives me up a wall, completely takes me out of the movie for as much as I've dabbled in philosophy and knowing what he's trying to quote. And just butchering it to pieces, it just, I, I couldn't go there. I'm like, okay, 
Sun Tzu is just rolling in his grave right now. What you bring up, though, is interesting about, like, the field that you're in when Mm -hmm. you see it on screen. And I've often wondered how many people in the different fields actually enjoy watching the movie of the field. Like, do police officers like to watch cop movies? (laughs) I feel like they don't. I feel like they I feel like they can't because it's just not it's such fantasy, you know? And the reason I think about it, though, is because you do have movies like like Misery, which we were talking about, and there's a lot of movies that come out that are about writers and books that are about writers. I mean, Stephen King, how many of his protagonists end up being writers? Right. You know, and it, write what you know, you know. And so when you're watching a movie about writing, I think you're going to get a better movie than when you're watching a movie about any other job because you're watching something written by a writer mm-hmm. because – that's what they know. Well, I, I can say that there are actually YouTube videos about this. Um, I've seen uh, YouTube videos of doctors watching House mm-hmm. and doctors watching Scrubs. What what I what I found is uh, most doctors take offense to uh, the the TV show House, but they also appreciate Scrubs because legitimately the the medical the medical side of the of the TV show scrubs is actually pretty spot on which is amazing to me another another one that i was amused by was a former member of the mafia was watching uh talk it was talk i don't remember what movie he was talking about but that that was super interesting he was talking about yes this is legit no they wouldn't have done he was talking about the sopranos that's it okay and yeah, that, that was super interesting too. And I can't remember that guy's name, but he actually is a guy who, uh, who, uh, became a Christian after the fact. And he's written a couple books. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but, uh, a super interesting cat. All right. Well, before we finish this up, we do have to talk about, is there any spiritual value in this movie? And I'd say I have to argue, yeah, there is. And part of that might just be because anytime you have any kind of good versus evil, there's going to be some spiritual value there, whether or not it's done well or not. But one of the things I was trying to sort through, like, how does this work? How does this fit into some sort of, for lack of a better term, some sort of weak connection? But um it was really interesting to me when I realized the cops show up in one scene to take uh, whatever lips or whatever his name was. Uh, and they're like, they're arresting him out of his own club mm-hmm. and then they get outside and it's not a cop car. And it tur- you, they realize, Oh, it's, it's bad guys. You know, it's, uh, it's other mobsters who have just tricked me into thinking I'm getting arrested. So I went with them willingly, but now they throw me in the back of the car and I'm, I'm here with, with uh flat top, whatever Al Pacino. Or yeah, it was with flat with flat top, and then I realized all of the cops who showed up had some sort of deformity to their face mm-hmm. and head, like they had the makeup on to make them look off, you know. And that was my. I was like, okay, so wait a minute, I should have known that they were bad guys when they came in. Because the only other good guy that I can remember who had real 
prosthetics was the ear guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was kind of just the joke that he's listening in on, on the guys. Um, and the only, the only bad guy, quote unquote, bad guy who didn't have prosthetics put prosthetics on to disguise themselves. And so you have that faceless bad guy who it turns out to be breathless Madonna and she's putting that on. And so there's this real interesting visualization of evil in this, in this movie. And it comes from the comic strips because it comes from caricatures of human characters. And you have that square jawed hero with Dick Tracy and you have like idealized beauty of, of Tess or whatever. Um, but I was just trying to think through like, what is this? this, Is there something to this? Is there something to the fact that Madonna is putting a mask on uh, to trick everyone into thinking she's not the bad guy, but she's putting the devil horns on to, you know, to, to join the bad guy side. Like she's becoming the thing that she doesn't want to be because she's a character that's on the precipice. I feel like she could go either way. And by the end, She's making made her choice. Uh, you, listening to you talk, uh, kind of remind it made me think of Tess versus uh, uh, Breathless Mahoney. Uh, by comparison, when it comes to when it comes to the affection of uh, Dick Tracy, um, and uh, Tess would be representative of the wife of uh, noble character because in, in this movie she was very plain to look at, but she was allowing her virtue to make her beautiful. Whereas, um, all throughout the movie, breathless Mahoney was, uh, relying on her womanly wiles. Yeah. To, and also she's also a reason why your name right now on, uh, on Riverside, how is this movie PG? <laughs> um, that's that. I, that'd be, I guess, a content warning. I mean, yeah. this, there's one scene, and I don't know if it just didn't show up on VHS because it was so grainy or what. But there is one scene where she shows up, and she's in a very, very, very sheer gown, and doesn't leave anything to the imagination. No, you can see everything underneath of it. Um, I was talking to Branson about, about that. Well, rather Branson was talking to me about it. Cause we were talking about Dick Tracy and he was uh, talking about how he wouldn't watch it again. He said, because it was fine in the original format. It was videotaped in, but, but when they had upgraded it to HD, that's when everything seemed to uh, pop through. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the eight, it was the up, it was the up conversion to HD that had, uh, caused that to happen, but it still maintained its PG rating. Although I don't think they re- ever resubmitted it for reassessment once they had it either. So, uh, so back to your, your Proverbs though, basically it, it, if, if, if anybody wants further, to review what I'm talking about further, I'd say read all of Proverbs 31. Uh, but to, to get to the specific, uh, 
the specific bits that I was that I was uh, thinking of. It would it could be summed up in thirty one verses thirty and thirty one, which is uh, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. So, um, you know, if you want to put it in a nutshell, it's you're beautiful when you do beautiful things. I felt bad for, for breathless's character because if she had gone that route mm-hmm. and chosen the, the godly route or the, the purity, you know, the, the test pure heart, I think that's her last name even in the movie is pure heart. But yeah, um, I feel bad for her because every moment of this movie where she's just choosing this other side, choosing this other way, choosing this other way to the point where she doesn't embrace uh, big boy and his people, but she embraces their ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I'm going to defeat them, I'm just going to be them. And then you have Tess. And I do really appreciate what they did with her character where um, <laughs> uh, the kid says, I don't like dames. And she's like, me, me neither. You know, <laughs> and it's just, um, and, and she's doing these other things where she's, she's capable, she's competent. Um, she still gets, you know, tied up and is the damsel in distress at the end. And she definitely, I mean, maybe Dick Tracy's the best guy in the city, maybe, but I don't know if she deserves him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they, they did a, as good a job as possible to take her out of the cliche, considering the time that the movie was made and yeah. how deep the cliche ran. Yeah. Um, if you, if you want, if you want to take this out and put it in context to another fandom, I would say that between the two of them, it's very much Marianne versus Ginger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for you younger people out there, I'm making a reference to Gilligan's Island. (laughs) All right. Well, I think it is time for us, uh, to close this down. So... Uh, John, where can people find you on the internet? Well, uh, I do DM for a D and D actual play podcast called playing games with strangers. Um, so you can check me out there if you want to hear me craft some weird story that I make other voice actors play along with. Um, and I also, if you enjoyed hearing me talk about this movie, you've heard me reference my other podcast a few times, uh, the bottom shelf where we specifically go out of our way to watch terrible movies and rate them to determine whether or not they are as bad as everybody says they are. Um, and if you want, are interested in anything else I could possibly be doing, check out the link tree link in the podcast description below. It'll be in the show notes. There you go. So you can find that at strangers and it should be a part of the uh, the show notes for your whatever podcatcher you're watching on. So uh, I do want to thank you for listening. Uh, not every episode this month is going to be uh, this uh, series, but this series is going to be in November. And uh, we may put in some smaller episodes uh, here and there throughout the month because there are things like Evan's Black, Blo- Black Blossom Kickstarter that he's doing where um, – And I'll put that in the show notes as well. But that Kickstarter of his is happening now. And if we're going to talk about it, we got to talk about it now. So, um, yeah, and there might be some movie releases. I don't know. There might be a big movie release coming maybe next weekend 
for uh, Wakanda forever. So we might stop to do that as well. So we might be getting some extra episodes in. I don't know. Um, it just depends on if I'm able to edit them <laughs> because that takes a long time for me. So with all that said, I do want to say thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you for spending time with us right now. Uh, please check us out also on YouTube. And until next time, I just want to say Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter where we are at strangeandalien or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-378. And once again, thanks for listening. I will always associate this movie with Egg McMuffins.